Welcome to episode 175 of Reclaiming the Faith. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen. Today, we're going to be wrapping up our series on 1 Thessalonians as we cover the last few verses of chapter 5. You can find links to all of my resources at philsbaker.com. And if you're blessed by this episode, please consider leaving a rating and review on our Spotify channel, Reclaiming the Faith, and also on our Apple Podcast channel. You can check out my catalog of podcasts on my show, The Faithful Podcast with Stephanie Baker. Also, I've got a new book, The Final Abominable Temple, which you can purchase in audio, digital, hardback, and paperback formats on Amazon. And if you've read it, please consider leaving a review there as well. And finally, we are blessed to be a part of Omega Frequency, and you can find links to all of our content there at omegafrequency.com. All right, let's get into episode 175. All right. Well, uh, wrapping up this series on First Thessalonians, as you said in the uh, intro show notes stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think next we're going to look at the martyrdom of Justin, Justin Martyr. Yeah. Short little document. It'll be a standalone episode, maybe one or two other standalone episodes as well before we get into uh, Second Thessalonians. Sounds good. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, Stephanie, we're going to continue uh, with First Thess, starting in uh, chapter 5, verse 16 through 28, and uh, continuing on some of these like bullet point type of uh, commands that Paul is giving the Thessalonians. So, um, you ready? Yeah. All right, go for it. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you as faithful, he will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. All right. So uh, verse 16, rejoice always. Not really talking about being happy all the time, right? but uh, you can think Paul in, um, in house arrest in Rome when he's writing to the Philippians in chapter four, and he talks about rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. Mm-hmm. Let your gentle spirit be made evident to all people. The Lord is near. That kind of an idea, like God is with us. And so if God is with us and Jesus through his spirit is in us, like he is doing, he is doing things um, in me. Uh, he is at work in the world. And so I can be conscious of God's grace in all situations. And that's literally what the word like rejoice means to be conscious uh, or glad 
for God's grace working in a situation. Yeah, I think it it's all about where is your hope? What are you putting your hope in? Um, there's obviously so many things in life that are so disappointing and so frustrating and, you know, don't make sense. And, you know, we live in a fallen world and, um, but our hope is not in what's here right in front of us. Our hope is what's beyond this life. Our hope's in Jesus and that we serve a savior who is risen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's really good. And then he goes into pray without ceasing. (laughs) Now this word uh, pray, this prosukomai, is like an exchange of ideas um, or exchange of wishes. So this is interacting with the Lord by switching human wishes, ideas for his wishes as he imparts faith. You can think about it like as the disciples interact with Jesus, they're exchanging these ideas. Now, hopefully we are also in that submitting to him, given that his thoughts and his ways are so much higher than our thoughts and and our ways, but he does want to hear from his kids and um, he will listen to his, the, the earnest prayers of his kids, of his people. You know, Jesus tells a parable in Luke 18 about why we should always pray and not give up, not lose heart. And then he goes into this woman interacting with an unrighteous judge, you know, and she won't uh, quit until she gets justice, right? And then he concludes that parable by saying, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now he was talking about praying and not give up. And he equates that with faith. Right. And I think a lot of that also has to do with this rejoice always, being mindful of God's grace in in every situation. And um, yeah, so um, how should we do this praying without ceasing thing? I think it just is a staying in communion with God and... um, I mean, I think it it isn't necessarily heads bowed, eyes closed kind of thing. I think that's not really practical to do all the time, but involving and allowing God to be in every aspect of your life and, you know, not seeing, saying certain times are for God or certain places, but, you know, like you, like a, a parent-child relationship, like always being aware of that. And, you know, feeling free to to speak and free to know that God is going to speak. That's really good. Yeah, uh, just a, a dialogue, you know, throughout the day, but knowing that you're with one who is for you, not against you, and is the maker of all things, the Lord of heaven and earth, like, that's pretty incredible. And he wants to um, speak with you, wants to commune with you. So being mindful of that doesn't mean we're like closing our eyes all the time, right? Um, And I think Paul goes into a little bit more of that definition uh, of how, or the explanation of how to pray without ceasing in the next verse, in verse 18, it says, in everything, it doesn't say for everything, but in everything, give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So 
in every situation, God is faithful. And we're going to come to that later in the text. But um, yeah. Yeah, I just, I mean, I, I mean, I think we can all agree that there are really terrible, crappy circumstances. I'm not sure if that word's appropriate, but those circumstances often remind us of the good gifts that God has given along the way. And we can't like take the good without the bad. Um, I was reading a book by Lisa Turkhurst that's called It's Not Supposed to Be This Way. And, um, you know, just dealing with the infidelity of her husband. And it's really, you know, a great book. But um, she writes, we will never appreciate or anticipate our true love, meaning Jesus, if lesser loves don't disappoint. I think if if we found everything that we need in earthly relationships and if people never let us down or situations never um, went awry, if everything was, was perfect, then we wouldn't be in close communion with God. We wouldn't be forced to rely upon him. And um, we can be thankful for those times and be thankful in those times that we're not alone. We can be thankful that God cares deeply and that he, he has, you know, good plans for us, but they, and he's, you know, often he's not going to waste our suffering if we allow it. He's, he's going to um, make the most of it if we allow it. If we stay, you know, faithful to God, he will make that suffering and those hard times count. And I think that's something to be thankful for. And I saw that a lot in listening to a podcast that was kind of talking about that, like making, make my suffering count, make it matter, you know, whether that's, it, you know, developing change in me or being a testimony to other people. And I think we can have, we can give thanks that we know that our, what our suffering produces. Yeah. And we can give thanks that, even if we're enduring injustice um, from people around us, God hasn't changed. Right. That hasn't changed the character of God at all. Mm-hmm. That hasn't changed God's inclination toward us or his, his feelings about us. That hasn't changed the cross. That hasn't changed the empty tomb. Um, and so we can truly like be mindful of those things and it hasn't changed what God is going to do uh, in us. One of the things that was um, that your comment was making me think about was the Romans eight twenty eight, which is uh, it's translated in a little bit different ways depending on your you know your translation. But um, God causes all things to work together for good for those who are called who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And I think it's more of like in all things God is working for our good. Mm-hmm. in every situation. Not that he causes all things. I don't think that's what Paul is saying at all. But he can use all those things that are happening for our good. And ultimately, as you keep on going in Paul's thinking, it seems like uh, it's to conform us to the image of his son. So it's helping us to become more like Jesus. God will use all things, even the horrible things to actually make us more like his son. And that's not something 
that's you can't you can't see in the immediate. That's something you can look back on and see how you've grown. And it's something that we will look back on um, once the return of Jesus happens and the resurrection happens and we're given glorified bodies um, like the Lord's and we can see, oh my goodness. Like God really kept his promise. I Like that was incredible. He took all of this darkness and just flipped it completely. Mm. Kind of like Jesus's crucifixion. The darkest moment in history produced the salvation of perhaps billions. Mm. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Then verse 19, which uh, is an interesting um, phrase, do not quench the spirit. Mm -hmm. So like one of the main analogies that I've been taught about Um, this verse is that it's kind of like a water hose getting a kink in it. Mm. So there's a flow of water and you can stop that flow from happening. You can slow the flow down by putting a, a, not a complete kink, you know, Mm -hmm. in the hose, just kind of tightening it somewhat, or you can completely shut it off. Yeah. And um, that, that's what it, it means. It means to extinguish or suppress. And um, it seems like the previous um, commands, bullet point commands are tied to this. You know, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus mm-hmm. and he's helping us to, he's guiding us into truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and the tr- truth of what God is doing in us um, and truth of what God is doing in the world. Uh, and if we are not being in a steadily thankful mindset, if we're not in a steadily, uh, a steady rejoicing type mindset, if we're not um, keeping God in our thoughts and, and speaking to him, treating him with like in faith throughout our day, uh, praying without ceasing, it's like we're, putting a kink in a hose. Yeah. And it's not that the Holy Spirit has changed. It's not that he has left. It's that we're shutting off his flow in a sense into our, uh, into our minds, into our attitude. It's like we're stopping that. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with that for sure. But I also think that those verses point to the following or the verses it's that are both. coming right after. 100%. Which it's like, I mean, for someone who's grown up Southern Baptist, I think that that's that's a really good thing to hear. You know, you're gonna hear, you're gonna have some things that come that, you know, there may be good mixed or bad mixed in with the good of what you know he's gonna talk about in the next couple of verses. But we need to, we don't want to quench what the Spirit is doing because it seems a little bit odd, or it seems like maybe there's some bad mixed in. There is the 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 true. Holy Spirit working is something that we don't want to stop. So I really, really appreciate how you were linking those two. Cause that's, yeah, that's what I was going to do also. But why don't you read again um, verse, verses uh, 20 through 22? Sure. 
Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. All right. So clearly this stuff is in your mind, right? With not quenching the spirit. Yeah. So why don't you go ahead and speak to uh, some of those things in Um, regards to not quenching the spirit? Like what is the spirit trying to do here? Well, I think that, you know, um, (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I have a lot of kind of jumbled thoughts on this, but um, like I said, you know, when you're, you're growing up in a tradition where maybe something like a prophetic word seems like something that's only for Bible times or whatever, then if somebody does truly have a prophetic word to speak, we can often just like throw the baby out with the bathwater. We're like, oh, there are some people that speak prophecy and it's wrong and whatever. That's not true prophecy if it's wrong. But there you can get kind of nervous about it and throw it all out, but are we testing it? And I think that this idea of like testing everything, I could, I don't know, I kind of see it almost the same thing as like sitting and waiting for God to speak in some ways. Like it's not quick, it's not easy, it's really inconvenient. It's not like black and white. And, um, you know, by testing things, you have to go through several steps. You can't just like, throw everything out, you know? And I think that you can test it through, you know, comparing, does this line up with scripture? Does this line up with the rest of scripture? Um, Does this message that's being spoken have value? Um, Are, do other people that I trust their discernment, how are they interpreting, you know, this, this prophetic word? Do they feel like there is validity to it? You know, is there, or is this something that everybody is saying, okay, this is not right. And I'm the oddball out that's, you know, still in agreement with it. But testing it, it takes time and it's inconvenient, like I said, but we might miss something important that God wants to speak. Um, and just because we're we're nervous that it might be, you know, not from God. But I mean, if it's not from God, it's not gonna hold up to the test. Yeah. So let's let's do a little bit of this. Can you can you turn to 1 Corinthians 14? And uh, in a minute, I'm going to have you read two sections. The first is going to be one through five, and then we'll go to the other one in a second. 1 Corinthians 14. 14. Yeah. Which verses? Uh, we're going to start in verse one and go through verse five. But uh, if you think about this, this command, do not despise prophetic utterances. Uh, despise means to like, treat it with contempt to like throw it away. It's, it's more than just like disregarding. It's like completely despising yeah. something, right? Just, I want nothing to do with that. And like, yeah, I think you and I both grew up in a context where a prophetic word would be despised on its face. Like, I mean, especially if it was labeled as such, like somebody could maybe speak something that was like a re- a rebuking kind of prophetic type word, maybe I don't know. I'm, but if you if you said somebody had a prophetic word, and they would definitely be like, no. So you and I both know someone that. Uh, I mean, it's it's like it's like she is one of Philip's daughters, like yeah. from the Bible. She's she's clearly like a prophetess. Like mm-hmm. this woman has spoken things, and I that how in the world, like word of knowledge stuff coming mm-hmm. through her, 
But you and I also know about her going up to a former leader of ours and saying, if you don't repent about this specific thing, God is going to remove your lampstand. And then that person was taken completely out of ministry because they did not heed that warning from God. And, um, And it wasn't just that one lady who said that same thing to the leader, a different lady did as well. Yeah. Like these were prophetic words. It, it was so obvious. And um, the lady didn't know about, she didn't know about the deep stuff until like after everything went down, basically. Yeah. She just was delivering a message. Right. Not trying to get into the details, just delivering the message. Mm-hmm. And that word was despised. Right by the leader. Mm -hmm. It was thrown away. So examine everything carefully um, is found in 1 Thessalonians 2 uh, twice. This word uh, examine, it also means approved. So let me read this to you, okay? Mm -hmm. This is Paul talking um, about him and uh, Timothy and Silas. And he says, our exhortation does not come from error or impurity or by way of deceit. But just as we have been approved, that word examined, approved, same word, we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. So we speak not as pleasing men, but one, but as God who examines our hearts. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness." So perhaps some of the ways that a word could be, a prophetic word could be examined, we're looking at a person's character. Are they, are they saying this with a pretext for greed? Um, are they saying it uh, out of error? Is this just not in line with scripture? Is this impure? Is this, is this uh, mixed with like ungodly motives? Is this uh, trying to deceive people? Is it coming with flattering speech? Prophets usually don't flatter. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, so like these words here in uh, 1 Thessalonians 2 like show a lot of ways that we can examine a prophecy or a person who claims to be a prophet. Right. The Didache gets into a lot of that, which we're not reading right now. One of the standalone episodes I want to do is uh, on wolves and false prophets. So that'll be coming in the next month or two for anybody who cares. Um, but um, yeah, so Steph, let's, let's look at this um, 1 Corinthians 14. Let's just do um, one through five first. All right. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. 
Yeah, you got something on your mind? Uh, I mean, just that if there's an interpretation, that is a, that's a prophetic word. Yeah. So yep. he's basically saying, yeah, the prophecy is fulfilling more value to the church itself. That's right. That's right. And even with that woman that was calling the uh, leader to repent, though she didn't know all of the details behind that, that was to help the church. And what happened because that person didn't heed the warning, the church fell apart. Yeah. And that, I mean, even the individual was so, you know, deeply affected and, you know, it's really, it's hard to hear those words that God wants to speak and pride can blind us. But I mean, what comes, that fall is so much harder that fall that comes after, you know, ignoring and, and being in pride. Yeah. Um, the, the, the main call from any prophet is going to be repent. Of course, there are going to be words like from Agabus when he's like, hey, there's a famine coming on Judea. You know, we need to prepare. That's one type of, um, that's called like uh, foretelling, which is like, telling what's coming. But then there's also the forth telling, um, speaking forth a word from the Lord. A lot of times those go together. Sometimes they don't. Um, but when there's forth telling going on, it is almost always a call to repent. And that is for the building up of the church. Right. It's not tearing down. It It's you know, like I saw a doctor the other day because uh, I can't get rid of the the belly fat and the lower back fat, you know, and all I want is a pill that'll make this stuff go away. And the doctor, you know, she was very kind with me, but she was also like encouraging me to think about eating habits, you know? Yeah. And that's all about a change of mindset. And I'm like, I don't want to change my mind. I want to take a pill. Yeah. The doctor is not against me, even though she wasn't doing what I wanted, you know. Mm-hmm. It's not that she's against me at all. She's trying to help me repent, basically. Right. It's a mindset change. And so, like, a, a real, you know, a prophet that's part of the body of Christ, that's coming to another member of the body of Christ, that's calling them to repent, is not doing that to destroy. It's doing that to save. Mm. You have anything? No. All right. So clearly Paul highly values prophecy. And he's saying it is much, it's a much more important spiritual gift than speaking in tongues. He's like, speaking in tongues is good. It's it's there like all gifts. And by the way, we're going to do 1 Corinthians uh, as the next book of the Bible after Second Thessalonians, that should be awesome. But uh, like tongues is good; it's it's there for the common good of all, like all the other spiritual gifts. But he's saying there's some that are more important than others, and prophecy clearly is more important. He says, like, hey, hey, remember chapter thirteen? Let me show you the most excellent way. And then he talks about love, and he concludes the love chapter, and then verse. Verse one of chapter 14, he's like, yeah, pursue love, but earnestly desire the greater gifts, the, spir- the, the spiritual gifts, especially that you would prophesy. 
And um, then he gives some order, though, to uh, how this should be um, done in a church setting. So when it when when Paul in First Thessalonians is saying like examine everything in First Corinthians fourteen, if you want to look at verses twenty nine through thirty three, you're going to see some of this examining stuff and the type of um, church setting that would provide for a healthy form of examining. So Steph, can you read that? Uh, Chapter 14, verse 29 through 33. Yeah. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Yeah. Paul wishes that everybody would prophesy. And he's like, let two or three prophets speak, and then let others pass judgment on that. Because what is coming out of these people's mouths needs to be examined before all. Mm. Like some of that can be... Uh, clarification, maybe answering some questions, you know, that kind of a deal, Um, expounding on things, adding to it. But sometimes something will come out that's just wrong and it needs to be corrected. So, all right. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. We talked about how this could... um, uh, it could apply to the previous verses. And so like in a gathering, uh, I hate this expression, but I'm going to use it anyway. <laughs> Chew the meat and spit the bones kind of oh, thing. Yeah, I don't like that one either. Yeah, <laughs> but it, it, it could hold to what is being spoken in a church setting. Like the stuff that is good, man, hold fast to that mm-hmm. and have nothing to do with anything that is evil. Like, man, get get away from any of that stuff that's not in line with the truth of the gospel. Yeah, I think it's just even that thought of like stuff being said in a church gathering that may not be, you know, true, but it being like discerned requires so many things that I don't feel like the modern church necessarily has, which is like that idea of like Sunday morning, you know, not Sunday morning, it could be any time, but in a gathering space, the ability to speak back mm. and to say like, hey, I don't, you know, this doesn't line up with these verses or how yeah. do you reconcile this with this verse or this story or whatever. But also, I mean, it's also assuming that there's a certain amount of spiritual maturity in the group, like to be able to do that in the first place. Like, I think that in a lot of churches, if it's said from the stage, it's believed. Mm. And um, yeah, there's just a lot of implicit trust for people that are in leadership in churches. And maybe that's just, you know, because maybe somebody doesn't know their Bible themselves very well. And so it's hard to critique when you don't really know and you're 
you know, you have a convincing speaker up there. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, that um, abstain from or hold fast to what is good and abstain from what is evil could also uh, be connected to what follows that. So verses 21b and 22 may be tied to what's coming in verse 23. So uh, Stephanie, do you want to read um, verse 23? Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right. Now, um, Paul has been talking about being sanctified at different points in this um, book. Uh, And one of those places is in chapter four, where he says in verse seven, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now you see a little bit of that, like quenching the spirit, despising Mm -hmm. the spirit. Basically, if you're rejecting the call to sanctification. Now let's look at this uh, weird part, maybe, because this is not very Baptist. Yeah. I mean, it just, we just don't talk like this. And may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's so much in this verse, by the way. Mm-hmm. So many like little nuggets that are incredible. But with this spirit, soul, and body, one of the main ways that you can look at this is everything. You don't have to like get down into like the nitty gritty, though some like early Christians do Mm -hmm. get down into it. Tatian is one, Irenaeus is another. We're going to look at something from Irenaeus in just a second. But basically, Paul is saying all of you. Yeah. But it's, there's a specific timing of this. He wants this to all you to be completely sanctified when? At the coming of our Lord. That's right. Now, every chapter, and we're going to come to this in a second, okay? But um, every chapter has dealt with this in First Thessalonians. One of the main issues in chapter four is what happens to our dead relatives that were in Christ. And Paul's like, oh, we're going to see them. They're going to rise first. Rise first. And when you bring in 1 Corinthians teaching into that, that's in a body, in, the, in, in a uh, glorified, uh, eternal, Im- immortal body like our Lord's. So a glorious, immortal body like Jesus. And that's also Romans 8 stuff when it talks about us being conformed to the image of his son, like a glorious image. This is very, very powerful stuff. First, uh, Philippians chapter three stuff. Um, So it seems like he is making a point that at the return of Jesus, it's not a, just a spiritual resurrection. It's spiritual and physical. All of you is going to be raised. And 
it's going to be raised in complete sanctification, complete holiness, Mm -hmm. like the holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, which is an incredible thing to think about. So just listen to this um, explanation of this passage from Irenaeus. So this is around 180. This is in uh, his five volume work against heresies. I really like volume five quite a bit, by the way. Uh, all of them are good. I love all the children the same as the parents. No, no, but, uh, no but I really like volume five. Anyway, uh, so this is volume five, chapter six, paragraph one. And uh, Irenaeus is specifically talking about this, why Paul wrote that spirit, soul, and body thing. For this cause does the apostle explaining himself make it clear that the saved man is a complete man as well as a spiritual man, saying thus in the first epistle to the Thessalonians, now the God of peace sanctify you perfect completely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved whole without complaint to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, What was his object in praying that these three, that is the soul, body, and spirit might be preserved to the coming of the Lord unless he was aware of the future reintegration and union of the three and that they should be heirs of one and the same salvation. Reintegration of the three. You know, when we die, where does our body go? the ground. Yeah, it just decomposes. Mm-hmm. This is one of the things that the early Christians, a hallmark of our belief is in the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Real, physical resurrection, bodily. He ate with them, right? Mm-hmm. It's a glorified body. He's able to like walk through walls, but it's a real body. And so like the Lord, we too will have our real body back. Now, this is going to be like a healed, you know, nice, good, healthy for all time type body, never to decay again, that kind of a thing. It's going to be perfect. Think very like Eden, you know, type thing. But at the resurrection, Irenaeus is saying there's a reintegration for those in Christ. So our spirit, you know, our soul, spirit like goes on Mm -hmm. uh, to be either in outer darkness, weeping, gnashing of teeth, or, you know, paradise with with Jesus, you know, with Jesus. It's one of the two. Then the resurrection happens. And for those in Christ, we get raised with this glorified body, but it's not just a spiritual thing. It's like physical as well, which is, it's an amazing thing. Uh, yeah. So this happens though at the coming of the Lord, the coming or the advent. Now, this is one more use of the Greek word parousia. Paul has been using this quite a bit. The coming, the advent, the arrival, okay? Of Jesus, the one. And the resurrection happens at that point. And evil is destroyed at that point. Wrath comes at that point. Uh, He saves us from the wrath. We're going to get into it. Yeah, so let's look at 
uh, we're going to look at one passage from each chapter. Because this has been like one of the main themes of 1 Thessalonians. Paul really believes this is coming soon. Not that it could happen at any moment, but that the Lord could truly come back in their lifetimes. Right. Okay? We who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord. So, Stephanie, are you ready? Yeah. All right. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, chapter 1, uh-huh. and we're going to look at verses 9 through 10. Okay. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. All right. Now, some commentators have, I believe, rightly pointed out that Paul is actually pulling from uh, the same passage passage that he pulls from in Romans 11 when he says, the deliverer will come from Zion. Okay, that's from Isaiah 59. Now, in Isaiah, it says the deliverer will come to Zion. He rescues us, right? Mm-hmm the deliverer, the rescuer. Paul says he comes from Zion, which means he's talking about the heavenly Zion, which he talks about the heavenly Jerusalem in Galatians chapter four. And the writer of Hebrews discusses in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, there's a heavenly Zion. The deliverer comes from, Jesus comes from heaven to deliver us, to rescue us, okay? And what does he rescue us from? The wrath to come, right? Yeah. All right. So then we got 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we're going to look at verses 19 through 20. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Right. So... The presence of our Lord, the coming of our Lord, the parousia, is tied with some type of repayment, joy crowns, judgment. We will be paid back for everything we have done, whether good or bad, at the judgment seat of Christ. We all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is First Corinthians chapter, or sorry, Second Corinthians chapter five. Okay, so it appears that rewards are dealt out at the parousia for believers. All right, all right. Next chapter. Right. Chapter three looking at verses 11 through 13. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. All right. So we're going to be blameless in holiness. Paul is praying for that to happen, to be found that way at the coming. Okay, sanctify you entirely Mm. at the coming, right? At the parousia. And uh, again, Paul links the parousia 
in ver- uh, chapter three, verse 13, with all the saints, Jesus comes with all his people, those who are in him, who have fallen asleep, you could yeah. say. All right. So let's go to the next chapter. First Thessalonians chapter four. And Steph, we're going to look at verses 13 through 17. All right. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as those who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Through which verse? I'm sorry. 17. <laughs> For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. All right. Now, Paul there says that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord. Remember, the gospel is supposed to be preached to all the Gentiles, to all the nations, and then the end comes. And Paul in Romans chapter 15 talks about how he's basically gone to the ends of the earth and how he's going to even to Spain. He's almost made it to the very end and he's about to get into Spain, the España. I mean, he's going to make it to what people thought was the end of the world, literally uh, the Strait of Gibraltar, right? Like people thought that was the end of the world there. So in Paul's mind, he really believes that we are going to be able to get the gospel to the farthest corners. And he's doing his absolute best. He's probably why he appealed to Caesar. I mean, he wants to get this message out kind of like a Nebuchadnezzar thing where Nebuchadnezzar converts and then he writes a, a, a missive, like an, a, an epistle to the entire world um, to serve. Everybody needs to worship the God of Daniel kind of thing. Like Paul really believes this can happen, right? Uh, Peter, I think, believes that this can happen. In Acts chapter three, he talks about how God wants you, he's talking to the, the Jews there in, in Jerusalem. He's saying like, you guys need to repent so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And he, Peter is saying like, you guys can repent. We can bring this right now. He, like he really believes that the Lord could return right then in, or in their generation, mm-hmm. in their generation, right? All right, let's hit our uh, last one. We're gonna look at 1 Thessalonians chapter five, verses one through five. Right. Ready, Steph? Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Yeah, because we've been told 
we're not going to be surprised because we know things to look at. You remember how we did this whole breakdown on Matthew 24? So, so much like similar language there and Jesus is telling them what to look for um, so that they're not caught like a, a thief in the night, yeah. right? You remember that? Yeah. All right. So anybody that wants to see a fuller breakdown on that, look a couple of episodes previous um, to uh, that first, I think it was like five, one through 11. Yeah. And uh, we also showed how that was tied into the passage in chapter four as well. Anyway, so let's look at this one now, uh, verse 24. Because 24 is tied to 23, Paul's prayer that God would sanctify them entirely, uh, body, soul, and spirit without blame, blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus. Verse 24, Paul says, and faithful is he who calls you and he will bring it to pass. Now, um, some commentators are suggesting that Paul now makes it very plain that the one who sanctifies us completely is God. And so we can just sit back and relax because God is the one who's going to sanctify us. Mm. I don't think that's what um, Paul is saying here. I think he's talking about for those who are in Christ, God is going to make sure that your whole spirit, soul, and body are reintegrated at the resurrection perfectly in conformity with the image of and the body of Jesus. It's going to be like that. Perfect, glorious, eternal, Mm -hmm. immortal rather. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so if you are in Christ, you don't have to worry about being like having to then like, well, is the resurrection in doubt? Not at all, Paul's saying. God's going to do it. Right, amen. Yeah, all right. So Steph, can you just uh, read 25, 26, 27, and 28? Okay. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. All right, now, uh, verse 25, it's cool that Paul, though he's an apostle, he's seen the Lord. He's like, please pray for me. You see him do that in Ephesians chapter six. And he's like, pray that I would have boldness to, to testify to the truth of the gospel. Like there are several places where um, Paul requests that prayer. He, he knows he needs help as well. Um, yeah, so that's just, I think it's just such a cool um, imitation of Jesus that this super apostle in a sense that we, we look at Paul as like a super apostle. Right. I'm not like, and Paul's like, I need prayer. Mm-hmm. So if Paul is not above asking for prayer, we should as well. We, we, should, we should do those same things. We should ask for prayer. Yeah, you need to, I mean, just being like vulnerable in that way is so important. And what, I think that a lot of people, I mean, this is kind of going off on a tangent, but I think a lot of people think that like people in leadership or, you know, good, you know, quote unquote, good church people like have it all together and they don't, you know, they, but we just, we see all the time how anybody can fall and 
you know, we need strength and we need prayer to endure. And so, you know, the more that we let other people know that we're real and that we struggle and that it's hard and that we rely on them and their prayers, I think it's encouraging to people, not, you know, discouraging at all. It's, it helps them to see that, you know, they're not this unattainable type person. Yep. And then verse 26, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. You know, I, I was thinking about this and I was like, I don't know if I've ever experienced that. Yeah. And then I was thinking, wait, your brother did that to me the first time he met me at the church that that we met at. Yeah. You weren't there, but yeah. you know, the, the pastor brought me up at the end of the service mm-hmm. in front of the congregation and was like, this is our new youth pastor. Yeah. So come up and say hi to him. <laughs> And uh, sure that was a long kiss. line, and your brother was at the uh, back of it, and then he came up and said, "I don't know, I'm glad you're here," or something like that. It didn't say his name; just planted one on my cheek. It's probably not a holy that kiss. That was not a holy kiss. That was just weird and disturbing. It, yeah, it was. was. <laughs> but Paul doesn't say greet everyone with a kiss. He says a holy kiss. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a sanctified thing. It's like showing people that you're family, brethren, your family. This yeah. is a familial type thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then he says something that's just incredible. I adjure you by the Lord to have this letter read to all the brethren. This is something that is not done in church gatherings very often. I know of a few Mm -hmm. um, places that have done this. I know um, we have done this a few times in small group. I know another leader that's done this. Um, This is commonplace though. Mm -hmm. So let me read to you something from Justin Martyr. And he uh, writes, on the day called Sunday... This is from his apology. On the day called Sunday, there is a gathering together in the same place of all who live in a given city or rural district. The memoirs of the apostles, that's the gospels, the memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. Now, The writings of the prophets could be any Old Testament books or it could be the rest of the New Testament. Okay. Okay. Um, Then when the reader ceases, the one presiding in a discourse admonishes and urges the imitation of these good things. It's so basic. Then he talks about how they pray, then they do the Lord's Supper. It's like, this is our gathering yeah. on Sunday. We read the Bible as long as we can. And then the leader over that particular service. Yeah. This is good. Do it. These are some of the things that we just read. Let's make sure that we do those things. Yeah. You don't have to spend, you know, 30 hours prepping a sermon when the message is, hey, do what we just read. And that's the exhortation and the message is just reading the Bible together. Yeah. I think that if there was more of that, there would be a little bit less of the celebrity pastor types just because how can you be a celebrity when you're just reading the Bible? That's right. And it also makes uh, 
church growth pretty easy because you don't have to have someone trained up in a particular way to be able to do that. That's a pretty easy thing. So if your leader gets killed, you can have another person step up. Right. And and lead those gatherings like that. Mm. So the qualifications for uh, leaders uh, are not charismatic, you know, great speaker, uh, strong presence. They're not King good, Saul. Good social media influencer. They're not King Saul type qualifications. Right. They're more like humble servant type. Yeah. Things, yeah. All right. So we've come to the final verse of First Thessalonians. Paul says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now, um, why would Paul pray that? And what is he praying for? Um, James talks about in verse chapter four, verse six, that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And I think that's maybe um, that mindset is what's going on with Paul here. He's like, let's be humble and experience more and more of God's grace in our lives. Let's take this, let's take this passage to heart and do it. That makes sense. Mm. All right. So uh thank y'all for listening to this series on uh First Thessalonians. Uh remember, we're gonna do uh, the martyrdom of Justin next. That'll be a standalone. We'll probably have a standalone on uh, wolves and false prophets and maybe one other standalone episode, maybe an interview. That would be pretty cool. And then get into Second Thessalonians and we'll kind of take it from there. All right, Steph, you got anything you want to leave the people with? No, just thank you so much for studying God's word with us. Why am I so easily distracted? Why do I so quickly lose my way? I thought a heart of service is what mattered Even best intentions lead astray Just to sit at your feet and wait for my king to speak it's the hope that my soul needs it's found at your feet oh just to sit at your feet
It's the 